you have a Bible, I want to invite you to grab it. We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 15. I've got to do quite a bit of uh, context before we get to Mark chapter 5. Uh, Mark chapter 5 is where we'll end up at. Um, we've been in a long series in the Gospel of Mark where we've just been going line by line and just kind of picking it apart and uh, just having the word speak for itself and to just speak into our lives so that we can know Jesus more and make him known. But I've got to give you some context. I've got to forewarn you that this is going to be awkward. And so, um, welcome. But it's important that we understand what's really happening in the story of Mark. So Leviticus chapter 15 We're going to pick it up in verse 19, and we're going to kind of go through quite a bit of Old Testament scripture before we land in Mark chapter 5. So Leviticus chapter 15, verse number 19. When a woman has a discharge, and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. Like I said, welcome to church. (laughs) Oh, I've got a few more scriptures. It's going to get even more weird. And everyone on which she lies during her menstrual impurity shall be unclean. Everything also on which she sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Now, whether it is the bed or anything on which she sits... When he touches it, it shall be unclean until the evening. And if any man lies with her and her menstrual impurity comes upon him, he shall be unclean seven days. And every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. If a woman has a discharge, I'm reading this as fast as I can, of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of her discharge, she shall continue in uncleanliness uncleanness rather, as in the days of your impurity, she shall be unclean. In verse 31, thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. Some of y'all are thinking, I should have never come to this crazy church. What am I doing here? And the rest of us are like, dude, this is so incredible. (laughs) Um, And if you think that, you're weird. Um, Father, help me and help us (laughs) because I need your help and we ask that you speak to us. We have, as we will get to, um, a heart of faith and expectation for you to do something. And though it was my voice that we just heard, it was your word that just spoke. So speak to us throughout today in Jesus' name. Amen. This is several thousand years ago when this was being written to the Israelites. And in this time, when you were unclean, you were completely cut off from people. Now, it's better understood for us to think of something like quarantine, right? I mean, you love the word quarantine. 
Like we can't get enough of that word. So you quarantine if you're sick for like, you know, 30 days and then it's 14 and then it's seven, now it's five, now it's we don't even know what quarantine even means anymore. So just think of that in this context, that if you were unclean, especially for a woman in this period of time, you were to set yourself apart from any person. You were not to touch anyone. No one was to be able to touch you lest they become unclean also. And while you were in your uncleanliness, you could not go to the tabernacle or to the temple. You had to have someone represent you and go for yourself. And so just think if you were a woman with a 12-year issue of blood who is hemorrhaging and who is bleeding uncontrollably, she was ostracized and she would be cut off from culture and society completely. She would have no access to people, no access to the temple, no access to the presence of God. Now flip over to the next book in Numbers, also chapter 15. Glad you're still, no one walked out. This is, the, this is great, because in my mind, I was thinking, gosh, Matthew, I don't think you should do this because people are going to walk out. And then I think, well, what else am I going to lose? Uh, Numbers chapter 15, verse number 37. Numbers 15, verse 37. Then the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and then remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. You shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So here's what's happening now. God has commanded his people to make tassels, um, in, in the corner, on the corners of their garments as a reminder for them to keep the commandments. Now, just, just a wild stab at how many commandments or laws there were in the Old Testament. 613 laws or commandments. So that's 613 tassels that they would make on the corners uh, of, of their shawl or of their garments. And so we get this word, the corners of the garment or the corners of the prayer shawl. It's in Hebrew, the kanop. So the kanop is the corner. And so there were four corners or four kanops on this prayer shawl or this garment that they would make. Now, one more Old Testament reference and then we'll get into the Gospel of Mark. And it's in Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. So you just flip all the way over to the end of the Old Testament and we'll be right there at Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what the word of the Lord says. For behold, the day is coming burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch, but, but for you, for his people who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall come with healing in its wings. 
you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Interesting play of words here, that the healing of his wings, the word wings here in the Hebrew literally translates as kanap. Kanap, remember, is the corners of the garment. So remember, this is right at the very end of the Old Testament. And so we can just flip over a page and be in the Gospel of Matthew, but that's not what happened, right? We have 400 and maybe 450 years of what we call the intertestamental period. So in this period, after the book of Malachi, after the prophet speaks for the Lord, there is nothing. There is silence. God does not speak to his people for 400 and possibly 450 years before the Gospels take place, before Jesus enters into the scene. So you had this kind of legend during this time that there would actually be a Messiah who would come and he would have these powers and these particularly these healing powers that would be in his kanap, that would be in the corners of his garments. So there was a thought within the people, within the Israelites, that crept up in their culture and that led up into the time of Jesus' arrival that they're waiting for the Messiah, then the Messiah who would have healing in his kanap or healing in his wings. Now here we insert ourselves into a story where there is a woman with the issue of blood who has been hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging for 12 years and who could have bought into a thought that there's going to be a Messiah who's going to come with healing in his kanap. So if you're there, Mark chapter 5, we're going to pick it up in verse 21. And what I'll do is I'll just read just a few scriptures and kind of dissect as we go along so we can hear what the Lord wants for us. So all of that context in mind, it's important to have all of that. Mark chapter 5, verse 21, and it's on the screen for you. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet, his feet being Jesus' feet, and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made, so that she may be, so that she may be made well and live. Like, you try to do this sometimes, okay? It's harder than it looks, so come me some slack. Now, now, interesting thing. Jesus just got off the boat not too long ago, right? Like, he just calmed the sea. He just told the seas, you're not allowed to be storming right now and terrifying my disciples. And then right after the boat, what does he do? Like, he meets the demoniac. He meets the guy who has at least a thousand or two thousand demons inside of him, tosses those jokers out into the sea, and then he gets back into the boat and goes to the other part of the sea. And now he is again met with a large crowd of people, mainly this synagogue leader, Jairus. Now, if you were a synagogue leader, right, you, 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 had, 
you were highly educated, you were influential in your community, like everybody would go to you as like this religious leader in your specific town or your neighborhood. Let's just say it like that, right? And so if, if he subscribes to the thought of the synagogue leaders, the other religious leaders, they do not like Jesus, right? I mean, you, you skim through the, the Gospels, they're always trying to trick him. They're saying things in their heads that's like sarcastic and like trying to belittle Jesus. Jesus hears their thoughts, calls them on it. They're, they're trying to catch him and, and tell him he's blasphemous. And there are times where they, a mob surrounds Jesus and Jesus goes like ninja styles and, and, and like escapes the mob because they're wanting to kill him. So if you are Jairus, you should subscribe to the thought of your fellow leaders because that's the popular thing to do. If you're a religious leader, you don't want to lose your popularity. You don't want to lose your influence because if you lose your influence, then you could lose your financial well-being and you could lose all of these things. So Jairus on paper should not be going to Jesus because Jesus is an enemy of the state. Jesus is an enemy of the religious state, I should say, and they do not like him. Isn't it funny what desperation or or desperate times do to a person? You become desperate, then all of these things about influence and money and power and prestige, those things take a really quick backseat, especially when it comes to your children, right? Your children get sick or maybe you get like diagnosed with something like that's terminal or, or something that just seems like, well, I don't know if God can heal this. Like does it, things, things quickly change on your view of Jesus. And in his desperation for Jesus, we're going to watch what Jesus does for him because Jesus knows who this guy is. Jesus knows that the, the crowd that he follows, they don't like him. So, so watch what happens in verse 24. And he went with them in a great cloud crowd followed him and thronged about I like that word thronged about him this is like a mob of people like it's just like like suffocating it's like just this huge crowd of people like a mob of people like trying to suffocate him and so in this crowd verse 25 and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse so if she suffered this word here translates as she was in complete torture so this wasn't just her waking up every other morning going oh i don't feel good or or you know what i think i'll try to take a while. no every day for 12 years this woman was in torturous pain and notice what the text also says she has spent Every dollar she has on doctors, on treatments. Now, doctors in their day were not like doctors in our day. Uh, There were some who would try like magic or witchcraft or things like that to kind of conjure up um, uh, these weird spirits to try to heal you. And so these weren't like doctors in our day where they're just like, well, I actually just have this. I'll just write you a prescription. No, they, they, they were trying to do all of these weird incantations, these strange things to try to heal her. And she wasted all of her money on them. So not only is she in torturous pain, but now she broke. She's not just broke 
um, financially, but she's also, she's also spiritually and emotionally broke. She has nothing going for her. She is desperate. In verse 27, it says she had heard the reports about Jesus. And she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment or his kanab. For she said, if I just touch even his kanaf or his garment, I will be made well. If she is Jewish, then she may know the scripture. If she was taught as a child of the scripture, she, it's, it's likely that she knows Malachi chapter 4. That there will be a day when a Messiah comes with healing in his kanaf or healing in his wings. And maybe she sees Jesus as that Messiah and just says to herself, if I could just touch his kanab, if I could just touch the corner of his garment, then I can experience this healing that I've been hearing about. Maybe it's superstition for her. We don't know how she gets to this point where she's desperate and she sees a man and she identifies him as a Messiah who can potentially be the one that heals her if she just touches the corner of his garment. Verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment of prayer. For she said, if I just touch his garments, I will be made well. Verse 29, and immediately the blood, the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, now watch what happens because this is interesting. Perceiving himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned into the, to the crowd and said, who touched my garments? This, this is interesting. Listen, Jesus' power, and this is a testament for us, is personal. I, th- I think sometimes when we view God, we think God is like this massive, like cosmic force, this, this you know, maybe he's detached from, from the, the people in which he is governing over. But in the story, we get a glimpse of who God is by, by seeing who Jesus is, by noticing that even the power that he has is personal because he wanted to stop the complete chaotic mob around him just to have a conversation with this woman. And his disciples said in verse 31, you see the crowd pressing around you, and, like, and yet you say, who touched me? Like, they're, they're just thinking, like, Jesus, really, is now a time to be a moron? Like, you really think this time is like for you to start asking questions, who touched me? Like, you see, there's thousands of people around us. That's not in the text, by the way. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Let's, let's think back. Think, let's think back in, in Leviticus chapter 15 for just a second and why this is so important that I had to read that awkward scripture. Because if you have an issue of blood, particularly if it's 12 years long, you are not to go out in public. You are not to touch anyone because you'll make them unclean. And, and th- okay, so the, the, the scripture's very explicit that this isn't just like a crowd of 40, 
right? This ain't just like, like 25 folk just like kind of hanging around, mingling around Jesus. No, this is like a mob of people, like thousands of people swooping around Jesus. So think about, like just consider if you're this woman, how many people are you making unclean just to get to Jesus? And then think about that she touches Jesus. She's just made him unclean. Yet for some reason, this doesn't matter to her. She's no longer allowed at the temple and to gain access to the presence of God. And now suddenly she has touched the very physical presence of the living God. And in verse 34, this is this, this crazy interaction. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. It wasn't Jesus's prayer shaw. Okay, it wasn't the kanah. It, it wasn't the garment that healed her. What did Jesus just say? Your faith has made you well. Now, this is interesting dialogue that happens because I think Jesus could have just kept walking. I mean, you've got a mob around you. And if you're this woman, think about, like, if I'm, if I'm her, I'm just interested in my physical healing, so I'm touching and getting out, right? Like, you don't want to be seen, especially if people know you or, or if people have heard about your condition. Like, do you want to be seen in public? Like, I, if this is me, like, I'm touching Jesus, and I, it's a scram, I'm out. Why did Jesus do this? Because Jesus wasn't just interested in her touching him. It could have been easy for Jesus. Remember, Jairus is probably looking at his, you know, he ain't got no, I, I, I guess he's looking at like a shadow because that's how like you're telling, so you're like, Jesus, like, what's going on, man? Like, my daughter is not well. She's about to die. Can you imagine the frustration if you're the dad and you've got a little girl at home who is dying and Jesus is just like, oh, I, th I think I'm going to do something clever. I'm going to stop the whole crowd. We're going to stop our journey and I want to have a conversation with someone because Jesus wasn't just interested in healing her physically. Right? It's more than the physical healing that Jesus is always after. If it wasn't, he would have just said, hmm, there went some power. But Jesus wanted to stop because he wanted her to experience a new life. The, the text says is that she went out in peace. He gives her a benediction of peace and this is the word that we get for shalom. And so this is not just, you're, you're just having like the, oh, I'm just having peace. No, it's like you are living a life now in peace of being reconciled to Christ. Now he is holistically and spiritually healing her. It's deeper than just getting a physical healing. It's easy for us to say, well, I just want a touch from Jesus. Jesus isn't just interested in giving you a touch. He wants to make you completely and spiritually, emotionally whole in a life of peace. And so this is the reason why Jesus is like, listen, 
I need to stop because if I don't stop, this woman is going to go back into hiding and she's going to continue to live a life where she's not really experiencing full satisfaction and peace. All right, now back to Jairus because remember, dad, if you're a dad in here and you've got a 12-year-old or a kid and they're sick and they're suffering and you're just like, I've got to do something for my kid and all of a sudden Jesus is just like, hey, let's have a conversation with somebody. Like, wouldn't you be a little frustrated at Jesus? So look at what he says in verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Jairus, why are you troubling this man any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. You know, that's, that's just crazy. Like Jesus is probably like, you would think, like, man, I, I'm sorry, dude. Oh, he's just like, what is Jesus? Jesus is trying to build this man's faith and give him kind of this expectation. Did you not just see what I did for this woman who was struggling and in, in, in torture for 12 years? Man, don't fear. Believe what I can do. And he allowed no one to follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. All right, true, true story. In Jewish culture, there would be people who were actually paid to do this. I'm just sorry, guys. That's a terrible job. Your job is to cry. Nobody? Nobody? Like some of you like, actually, it sounds like a really good job to me. Like, you need therapy. Like, listen, like, that's not a good job to have. But these people are like, oh, this is my story. This is my job is to weep about people. And Jesus is kind of like, what, what are you guys doing? Like, the child's not dead, but sleeping. And look at verse 40. They, and they laughed at him. They're like, you are an idiot, right? They are laughing at him, mocking him, not knowing that this is the God of the cosmos here who is about to change the trajectory of yet another person. But he put them out outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was, taking her by the hand. And he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 20 or 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome in amazement. In verse 43, we're going to denote this verse and get back to it later. And he strictly charged them not to show uh, that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Mark is an amazing writer. In fact, we went through last week as, as he was writing about the story of the demoniac. It was actually kind of political satire and a hit job to uh, how people view governments and these types of things. Mark is an incredible, incredible writer. There are two parallel, well, a lot of parallels that are happening in this scripture, in this story. Both are women. Both are called daughters. Both are unclean and untouchable. The woman with the issue of blood is unclean because of her issue. The girl is a corpse, therefore she is now untouchable and now unclean. Both are touched in the same way by Jesus and made whole. Notice the timing of this is crazy too. All right, you, can't just like, you can't just like look through this and be like, 
This is odd because it is. Because Mark is brilliant. The woman is healed after 12 years of torturous sickness. The child is 12 years old. Mark is kind of giving us this this view of what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes. The untouchable are touched. The unclean are made clean. Those who did not have access to the presence of God now have complete access to the presence of God. And it's not through a man. It's not through a ritual. It's not through some kind of sacrifice. It's just that you get access to God. And notice who gets access to God, because this is fascinating. It's not just this woman who has spent all of her money and who is now in poverty and in sickness, but it's also for the elite. So for those saying that Jesus was some socialist and was only out for the poor, Jesus is making his kingdom message that this is for every person. Those of you who have influence and who have money and who have financial uh, gain and have all this affluence and all this stuff. And, and for those of you who have nothing. For those of you who have come in here broken. Jesus is here for you too. You just come to him with expectation. You come to him and how they came to him, right? It was through faith. You come to him through the faith that the Holy Spirit gave you to believe in and you will meet Jesus. Now, there's just a few things from this text that I want to kind of dive into. Now, if you read this scripture, one thing that I've said before and one thing you've probably heard is that if you want to know who God is, then you look at Jesus, right? Because in... Those are Jesus' words, by the way. I I never said that was Jesus' word. Like, you want to know the Father, you look at the Son, right? You look at Jesus because Jesus is God. So in this reality, though, is so if this is the picture of God, that if it it just kind of displays to us that God is not some kind of, you, you know, outside cosmic force who's just waiting for all of us to screw up so he can just wipe the earth clean again. No, this kind of paints a different picture of God where God meets people in their desperation, where God meets people in their faith, where God meets people who have an expectancy in their heart for him to do something, where God meets people who are willing to lay down their, um, their influence, who are willing to lay down their power, like Jairus. I mean, he had to, he, he's about to lose it all if he is seen with Jesus So if you want to know who God is, you look at Jesus. Jesus gives them this healing from not only just their sickness, but he gives them a complete spiritual healing. It's this peace that he offers them. This life outside of chaos, this life outside of anxiety, this life outside of all the things that the world is kind of battling in your mind right now, right? Like just how many things that the world throws at you. You turn on the news, you watch whatever, and, and it's just chaos. I mean, it's, it sells wonderfully, right? I mean, who wants to sell peace? I mean, nobody does. People only want to sell what is chaotic, what is bad. 
And so it's just kind of infiltrated into our minds. But the offer on the table for all of us is to come to Jesus through faith. And here's what he gives us, a life of peace. I love this because he's like, hey, daughter, you are spiritually clean. You have peace. Now you have access to the presence of God. That thing that cuts you off from the presence of God, you are now clean from it. And you now have a spiritual healing in your life. The other thing this says about God, it, it not only like about his character and his attributes and about who Jesus is, how compassionate and loving and kind he is and, and how healing and, and like just all powerful he is, but it says something about the timing of God, doesn't it? Let me, let me phrase it like this that may kind of jar some of you that you probably never, uh, you don't want to admit it, but you thought it. It's the annoying timing of God. Amen. Am I right? I, I know you think the preacher should be spiritual and all that stuff, and well, newsflash, I'm, well, I am, but I'm, you know, I also have this really frustrating side of me when it comes to my relationship with the Lord. And it's, and it's, and it's, and, and I identify with Jaira so many times, like, how, where are you? Isn't that the question we ask when we're frustrated? Why won't you move, Jesus? Why are you taking your precious time? And in our moments of frustration, in our moments that we are in those kind of traumatic times in our life, maybe we're waiting for God to save someone, maybe we're waiting for healing, maybe we're waiting for I don't know, just God to move in a situation, and you ask this question like, J.R., is J. Did, did, did you forget that my daughter is almost dead, Jesus? Like, do you have like some sort of kind of like amnesia? Like, what is going on? The timing of God is interesting. The timing of God, you know, it's, and it's interesting because if Jesus were practicing medicine in 2022, he would immediately, like, he would be caught for malpractice, right? And be charged for malpractice. Because he knows that we have a woman who has a chronic disease, so he'll treat her instead of treating the woman with the acute disease who's dead. Jesus would be charged with malpractice. Okay, first, first of all, thank God he's not living in 2022. And secondly, just thank God Jesus knows what he's doing. And that, and that human time and, 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 and the time that we go by doesn't define Jesus and his activity. Have you ever thought about that mind explosive? Right? We are, let's be straight, we're governed by time. We're ruled by time. Jesus is not. Jesus is outside of time. If he were governed by time, then we would be worshiping and singing to Father Time and not Jesus Christ. Outside of time, not being operated by a clock, Jesus can still do what he wants to do. And that's the encouragement for us. If we think that, you know, maybe uh, God's not moving like he, he should, like, like just remember he's not governed by the way that you and I are governed. 
He's not on a timer and a calendar being dictated around what to do, when to do. He's outside of time and he can do all things that he wants to do. This, another thing that this says about Jesus, it, it says a lot about sickness and healing. Um, I, I know I've said a lot of encouraging things. <clears throat> and I want to continue that. One day we're all going to die. Right? Here's the reality, okay? You will either be healed on this side of eternity, or you, see there? <laughs> or, right? Or, or maybe, maybe you'll just kind of, you'll push it back a little longer, okay? Or maybe you'll be healed in eternity with Jesus. Here's the hope that we have as believers, resurrection. Whether we are healed from our sickness and disease here or whether he takes us home to Jesus, we have the hope of resurrection through Jesus Christ. And please do not read this and just think this is just about physical healing. It is not. This is why Jesus wanted to stop the conversation and stop the mob and tell her, listen, your faith has made you completely whole. Because far more, here's what, here's what you need, more than a physical healing. And here's what Jesus made available to you, is a spiritual healing through the cross of Christ. That is your greatest need, that you need healing spiritually. And lastly, this says a lot about faith and expectancy. The faith of Jairus, it cannot be understated. And, and really, the, the woman with the issue of blood, it's stunning. Like the faith of this dad to kind of forget about all the things that he is known for, to kind of lay those things aside just so he could be in the presence of Jesus. There's an expectancy and there's this urgency within them all because they had the fundamental belief that Jesus can change anything. There's a problem, however, with us because for the most part, we don't really have this, ur okay, I'll, I'll let you off. For the most part, I don't have an urgency to be in the presence of Jesus. I, I have a life of, well, not all the time comfort, but, you know, I, my, my life of trauma. But, for, for so, like, I, I can go to my house. I can go to my room. I can lock my kids out. I can actually just throw them in the basement. And, and like, I can be alone. And I can just, because I can find this, like, this resolve in my own self. And some of us, we have kind of some kind of security blanket. We have health insurance. So, so for us, like, can we be honest? Like, not all of us, but some of us, there is no urgency to be in the presence of the living God. There is no urgency to pray and, and to plead with God, please God, do this, God, please um, save, be, be mighty to do what only you can do in, in the lives of your people. There just isn't this type of urgency and in faith inside all of us. 
None surely like, like this woman has. All right, let's forget about the dude who, who was going to forsake his financial wealth and perhaps his integrity and all of the things that comes with his title. Let's think about the woman. This is her last resort. And she is willing to make a fool of herself just to receive a touch from Jesus. Right? I'm not telling you to make a fool of yourself right now by dancing around and running around, you know, acting all crazy and stuff. But really, like, where is the urgency in your heart to want Jesus to move mightily? Where's that urgency? Where's that expectation? Where's that faith inside of us? You know, for the most part, and I'm, I'm almost done, I promise. For the most part, we're just like, well, you know what? I just want the little touch from Jesus, so I'll just go to church. I'll leave early. No, nobody's talking to me, right? I, I, you know, I just, I need to get in, get out, get my touch for Jesus, and that's the gas and the gasoline I need for the week. And, you know, shame on us. Shame on us for just thinking that we just are satisfied with a tiny touch of Jesus, and maybe this is just the little fuel that we need when there is so much more that Jesus is offering us. There is so much more that he wants to do in our lives. He wants to do more than just the little touch on your life. He wants to change you. Now, look at the last verse, and I'm done. Verse 43, Jesus says something really, really odd. He tells them, strict orders, do not tell anyone about this, don't tell anyone about this, Jesus. This is interesting. It's a common phrase Jesus uses after he performs miracles. I'm going to give you a few reasons why. Maybe one of these reasons he tells us is maybe he's just avoiding being stampeded upon, right? If there are mobs of people, and he, you remember he tells him, he's like, feed the girl, because I, I guess apparently after you die and you come back, you're hungry. I don't know. He's like, give the girl some food, and maybe he's just wanting the family to have some alone time, and maybe that's right. Maybe, maybe they just wanted, you know, remember, they also have this anticipation of a Messiah, so maybe he's not like ready for like this army of people to like come in and hail King Jesus and like wave the banner of the king. So maybe that's the reason why Jesus says this. Um, maybe he's, and this is the one that I think is true, it just wasn't time to evangelize. It wasn't time, here's what, here's what I mean, it wasn't time to spread the message of Jesus. What has not happened at this point yet? The crucifixion. What redeems us and makes us whole, none other through the cross of Christ. Maybe, and this is speculation, Jesus isn't wanting people to see him as just a physical healer. Maybe Jesus doesn't want people to identify him as the guy who has power over the darkness. Maybe people don't want to just, maybe Jesus doesn't want people to recognize that maybe he's just the guy who has power over nature, but he is instructing them like there is something greater that I'm going to do that's far greater than calming seas and, and raising dead people and, and healing people with 12 years. Maybe there's something greater that Jesus is at work here and we're just a few months away from it at the point of this text 
and that is the cross and resurrection. That is the gospel because that is what we are to proclaim. And they didn't have that message yet, but we do. Jesus was telling them, guys, you know, you think all you need is like this physical healing and like these, you know, the power over darkness, and, but I can do so much more. In fact, I'm going to do so much. I'm going to, I'm going to rid the world and reconcile all things back to the Father that all you have to do is have faith and believe and you will be healed from your sins. And now we have this message of Jesus that is no longer Jesus telling us, you know, confine it, keep it to yourself, don't tell anyone. No, we have the Great Commission, go and tell the nations. He is not imploring us to sit on our rear ends and to keep this message to ourselves. Jesus is imploring you this message that he has saved you from the depths of hell and darkness. You go out and shine the light of Christ. For those of us who have been saved, and, and this is our hope in this, one day, I don't know when, but one day, Jesus will come with healing in his wings, in his kanab, and he will take us home with him. That's our hope in all of this. 